0: Welcome to the Billingshurst Family Church Podcast. For more information or to support our work in Billingshurst and the surrounding areas, please visit billingshurstfamily.church. Good morning, everyone. I'm just going to wait for the worship band to uh, make their exit. I always get slightly worried when I have this mic on during the worship that it will accidentally switch on and everyone will hear my beautiful voice. (laughs) Cool, so today um, we are carrying on our series through Judges, and we are at Judges 4. Um, And Judges 4 is a bit of um, a weird one. Um, It's a very efficient story, um, and there's not a lot of spared details, um, but an awful lot happens. Um, So to start us off, I'm just going to read through Judges chapter 4. So from verse 1, and the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harasheth Hagayim. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. Now to Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of was judging Israel at that time she used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim and the people of Israel came up to her for judgment she sent and summoned Barak son of Abinoam from Kadesh Naphtali and said to him has not the Lord the God of Israel commanded you Go, gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun, and I will draw Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river, and uh, with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. Barak said to her, If you will go with me, I will go, but if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh, and Barak called Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh, and 10,000 men went up at his hills, and Deborah went up with him. Now Heba the Kenite had separated from the Kenites the descendants of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, and had pitched his tent as far away as the oak of Zananim, which is near Kadesh. When Sisera was told that Barak, son of Abiram had gone to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the men who were with him, from Harasheth Hagayim to the river. And Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. And Barak pursued the chariots and the army to Harasheth Haggaiim. And all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. But Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heba. For, For there was peace between Jabin, the king of Hazor, and the house of Heba, the can I? And Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me, do not be afraid. So he turned aside to her into the tent, and she covered him with a rug. And he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, Stand at the opening of the tent, and if any man comes and asks you, Is anyone here? Say No. But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. Then she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. So he died. And behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Jael went out to meet him and said to him, Come, I will show you the man whom you are seeking. So he went into her tent, and there lay Sisera dead. With the tent peg in his temple, so on that day God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the people of Israel, and the hand of the of the people of Israel pressed harder and harder against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. Thank you, thank you very much. <laughs> so yeah, so this is um this is a challenging um, piece of scripture for us to stand um, this morning, um, and there's definitely some troubling um, bits um, that we need to get our heads around, um, but there's a story that there's, there's a reason that this story is in um, the word, um, and so it's sometimes easy to skip over um, uh, passages like this if they're confusing or if they're a bit violent, but it's important that we grapple with them and try to understand them. God is not apologetic about Chael hammering a peg into Sister's head, and so we shouldn't be either. Um, So, first off, we're going to look at the story in in the passage and talk about some of the important bits and try to understand why they're there um, and how it's important for us now. Um, So, I'm just going to start by praying that God would be with us as we look at this passage. Um, Yeah, Lord God, I thank you um, for your word. Um, Lord, I thank you for the, the truth that it holds, Lord, and I pray that um, we would um, hear from you this, this morning and, and, um, and grow uh, more in love with you, Lord. Amen. Amen. So, to recap the story, um, slight, slightly sh- shorter version this time, um, the people are oppressed by a king whose general Sisera was leading his army, which was a mighty army with 900 iron chariots, um, but God's judge in Israel, Deborah, calls a man called Barak um, to lead God's army against Sisera, and they're triumphant. Sis- Sisera, defeated, flees the battle and returns home, but takes refuge in a tent of someone he thought was his ally. But that man's wife takes a tent peg and gruesomely drives the peg into Sisera's head, and God delivers his people. So, as we begin the story, um, the Israelites are in dire straits again. Um, They have been sinning um, and once again we see that link between following God and being within his blessing and not following God and being outside of his blessing. Um, This is a really important early point to consider um, and it's been shown through all of the stories that we've looked at so far that there's a repetitiveness to judges. Um, In verse 1 it says, And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They had sinned again, and each time they do, God gives them over to an evil king to oppress them. Um, but these stories always point forward to the saving work of Christ and what he does for us. Um, there's a similarity in our position before Jesus saves us and the Israelites in his passage. Um, their repetitive, um, stiff-necked, sinful ways mean that they're ruled over by an evil king. Um, and are in true need of salvation. And God does act to save them and sends a saviour. And Jesus does the same thing for us. As sinners, we are stuck in a place. Um, but like the, the Israelites, who from verse 3 say, then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. All we need to do is call on God to save us. And what's, what this story shows us is that God does not do that coldly. Um, he saved his people in the story in a massive battle, um, he causes a river to swell so that the advantage of the enemy becomes their downfall. God had sent rain, and the field that they were fighting on became boggy. And what turned from um, the advantage to Sisera and his army became their downfall as the ground became a mile. Um, and this is interesting because Baal, who the Canaanites worshipped, they kind of thought of as a storm god who was in control of the weather and, and the elements. So it's kind of a perfect irony that God uses this as the means um, to defeat this other God and his people and to bring victory to his own people. Um, and this is clearly and obviously God. But all it took for God to save his people in this story was for them to call to him and ask for help. This title of this series of preachers is Mercy Triumphs Over Justice. God chose to step in and save them. And he could have said, I've sent you my law, um, I've told you how you should live, and i told you the consequences of not f- following it. But God is not like that. He is warm and generous and completely rectifies the situation. Often um, we can hear the word mercy and we can kind of imagine a king who maybe elects not to execute someone. Um, and it's a bit begrudging gr- 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 to do it. Um, but God is not a petty human king. That phrase, but God, is littered through the scriptures where God is merciful and kind. He is abounding in love and treats us in the same way. He does more than just remove our sin from us. Through Jesus, our sin is removed from us completely and fully, meaning that God sees us as if we had never sinned. But God goes even beyond that. He places us with Jesus, his son, in Romans 8:17, it says, For you are co-heirs with Christ. He takes us from this place similar to the Israelites in being just futile sinners with no hope. And just by saying, Lord Jesus, I need you. I know that my sin is wrong and that what I've done is wrong. Lord, please save us. He pours out his mercy, which is more than we could ever exhaust. Through this, we become the beneficiaries of this amazing gift. Also, for those who who are saved in the room, it can sometimes feel like the 900 chariots are still there, still oppressing us. Um, And God hears your call as well. He's willing to come and save you from where you are at. It's easy to be saved but not feel like we're living, like we have been. Deborah twice in this passage says to Barak, Has not the Lord or does not the Lord. And today is an opportunity for you to hear the same. Has not the Lord saved you? Reach out to him and ask him to be with you. This is a call to live a life freed from shame and to become alive. Jesus offers to us to live a life of purpose and abundance. Um, this is the beauty of the message of Jesus. Jesus takes us who are dead and breathes life into us. He comes to serve us and to sacrifice, oh, sacrificially give himself for me. And for you. I'm going to go and talk on a bit more about that place of um, feeling or, or being lost and what Jesus does for all that are in that place. But you may be sat there and hearing this for the first time, um, or, and what I've said has really resonated with you. Um, and there's going to be some time at the end um, to take an opportunity um, to pray for that, um, to remember that all we need to do. Uh, for Jesus to save us, is just to call out to him. God can save us from the 900 chariots in our life. Um, And there will be a chance at the end to pray with someone and respond to that. So, working back through the passage, um, when Deborah calls Barak to assemble an army um, and and that God would put Sisera um, into his hand, his first reaction is that he's unsure. And he asks Deborah to go with him. Um, So she says, I will surely go with you, and nevertheless the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. And we see this later on as Jael takes vengeance on Sisera and kills him with a tent peg. Um, And there's an interesting bit of detail about Jael um, and her husband, that they had moved from the south and kind of separated themselves from their family Um, and put themselves in the north, which means that they were exactly where they needed to be to administer God's justice. Um, And the manner of God's justice in this case can cause us some issues, um, because it's so violent and brutal. um, And it would be pretty normal to think, how could God do this, or isn't God a loving God? Um, And so first we need to look at the actual passage, um, which, as I said before, kind of makes no excuse... Um, for, for what J.R. does, but neither does it condone or praise her action, um, so we shouldn't either. Um, we also need to make sure that we are looking at this from the perspective of the people who it was written for, that this was a triumphant uh, moment for, for the people when kind of, like, enemy number one um, gets his just desserts for, for doing evil against God's people and gets killed brutally by a, a, a woman. And we can see this in our kind of own society um, uh, nowadays, where kind of heroes like Winston Churchill or Horatio Nelson or even Boudicca are kind of revered and honoured. Um, and this story isn't too far away from kind of watching a documentary on the Battle of Trafalgar or World War II. Um, and the other thing that we need to be really careful of is differentiating between what the Bible reports and what the Bible recommends. Um, so, this text is definitely not a, re- a, a recommending to anyone. Um, to go and take after Jael. But it is reporting that an an enemy of God who was opposing his plans for his people um, to live in peace and freedom in the land that he had uh, promised them got the judgment that he deserved. But also that what God promises will come true. He spoke through Deborah to Barak that because he didn't fully trust um, in God, the glory would go to a, a woman. And it seems like God's plan will be fulfilled through Barak, but the glory goes to Jael and Deborah. But we shouldn't look down on Barak too badly. There's a humility to his actions um, that he thinks he cannot go and do this kind of grand thing that Deborah has called him to do. Um, We can often find ourselves, when confronted with the call and instruction from God, feeling inadequate, but this story um, shows, um, shows us something of the generous heart of God. That divine calling never comes on its own. It is always followed by divine provision. God doesn't call Barak to do something without providing the means to do it. The text in, in verse 15 says, The Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before, uh, before Barak by the edge of the sword. The role of God in Barak's uh, victory must have been clear for the writer to include that. And we kind of see that in the next chapter, that God used rain and a storm to turn Sisera's strength of 900 iron chariots to cause his downfall. God was powerfully with, um, uh, with Barak, like he is with us. As I've said, we can often have 900 chariots in our life. These, these problems that we feel like there's no way out of or, or something that we know God has called us to do but we feel like we can't do it. But God is greater than the 900 chariots. And this story shows the often confusing but always wonderful ways that God provides for those that he's called. Hopefully there's a slide. Oh, it's already up. Perfect. So they see in this slide the slightly roundabout way that God Saves his people. That it goes from calling um, two two people from the south to the north, um, to Sisera going to their tent, um, and then finally with Jael kind of triumphantly um, murdering Sisera in his tent. Um, It is a complete victory for God's people. They go from being ruled by Sisera to Sisera having a peg driven into his head. But it's not straightforward. And I'm sure around the room, in both the new and older believers, they can tell you stories of how God has provided, and sometimes they couldn't see how he would. I can kind of see this in my own um, smaller experience, um, that when I looked at how I um, became to work for this civil service, um, it wasn't such a straightforward journey. I kind of left university with this degree in economics, um, having managed to get in with kind of lower grades than my offer. Um, I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do next. Um, so after a conversation with Ben, our previous leader, I kind of asked and he agreed um, that I would come and work for the church for a year, um, which turned out to be one of the best years of my life. Um, university was a tough time for me. Um, and through this year, straight after, God really worked on me. Um, And I grew loads. Um, But doing this impact year was not what I thought that I had planned for myself, but it felt right and it was right. And in June that year, I applied um, for the civil service graduate scheme called the FAST Stream. I went and did the assessment centre, having made it through four stages of that process to what I thought fall at the final hurdle. And I kind of thought that that was it. And I'd kind of prayed at every stage. So a lot of the stages for the fast stream are these online tests. Um, but I kind of said to myself, God, if this is, if this is where you want me to work, um, then let me pass. And if not, then it's fine. So I said to myself, after kind of being rejected from the fast stream, that that was kind of it. That, that door had been shut. And it got to about the next April or May. And I remember it really well. I was... Um, sat in my room thinking about what I was going to do next, and I I said to God, Lord, please make this really obvious. Um, And then three days later, I got an email um, from the Department for Work and Pensions to see if I would be considered, see if I'd like to be considered for a direct appointment. Um, And I was pretty thick about this, because it wasn't until I spoke to someone about three days later that I realised that this was an actual answer to prayer. Um, (laughs) But in fact, it kind of answered two prayers um, in one. The second one, to make it obvious, but also that that first one, that if this was the right place, then then let me get this job. Um, I was just looking at the wrong door. Um, And as he does, God answered my prayer, um, but not in the way that I expected or thought that he would. But wow, did this massively work out. The kind of the internal policy graduate scheme I'm on now has so much better than, than the fast stream, and has been one of the kind of the blessings of my life so far I'm, I'm aware of the kind of risk of telling a story like this because um, it can kind of lead to some different reactions um, some may feel excited by it and go wow God you just work so well but you can think why God haven't you done this for the things I want in my own life um, so I want to say a couple things that it's important for us to keep close to our hearts. So the first is that God is a God of love um, and he loves you no matter what your circumstances are or what you have done or what you will do. The challenge for me is that even if God hadn't done this that I still need to worship him the same that he has done it. I told this story not so much because of the ending Um, Although, thank God, um, he has blessed me. Um, But what I wanted to emphasize was that halfway through the story, I did not see the end. If there was a kind of feelings tracker, um, the time from university through to the end, kind of my first day at the DWP, the predominant feeling would have been feeling a little bit lost. um, Lost in knowing what, what God wanted me to do in my life. Um, But it was really important that during um, those key times that God put lots of important people into my life. Kind of Ben back then, Craig now, um, lots of members of this church, my lovely mum and dad, um, who spoke um, spoke wisdom and sense to me um, when I needed it. I also tried my best to hear God um, and his voice and one way i describe my, uh, my impact here was God making kind of less and less room for me to pretend that I didn't know what he was calling me to do. So if you're a middle-of-the-story person right now, seek God and his confusing, unstoppable will, and then also seek good people. And that even if we feel like we have been, no one has been left behind by God. You are always in his arms. It's so easy to get distracted and not see him in the situation we are in. But God has not and cannot ever forget you. God has not changed his mind about you. He reaches out to us and takes our hands and brings us into his arms. And remember, we are his sons and his daughters, and he blesses us by saving us. Whatever happens in our lives, the scandal of the cross and of grace is still a fact that God became man and lived a sinless life before dying for us on the cross because he wanted to save you. We can have that kind of Good Friday mindset of Jesus is gone, that he isn't here anymore, but forget that he rose on the Sunday and he lives with us today. And so we're going to return to a time of sung worship um, in a short time. But I really wanted anyone who is in that place Um, and I think if we're honest we're all in that place of feeling a little bit lost um, to find a good person. Um, This room is full of good people to pray um, with and there's a theme through judges that when the tribes come as one um, they succeed but when they're apart they, they fall away. So church let's unite together this morning. Um, and beyond, to seek the calling that God has for our lives. It's interesting that the first time that God is called to do something, sorry, that Barak is called to do something by Deborah, he did this, but the second time he goes out and with God defeats the 900 chariots of the enemy. We don't get much detail of the actual battle, so we can only point to God as the source of victory. So church, let's go out and call on God and hear his call. And go and beat the 900 chariots and worship him because we know that it was God who was, who was with us. And then finally, those that want to respond to the truth that though we are lost in our sins, Jesus has come, died and risen again in order to rescue you. Use this time now to find someone to pray. Um, the band and Nick will kind of lead us through this next section.